Hello, and welcome to another episode of The How, a W12 Plus podcast channeling water solutions. The How focuses on water solutions and the people behind them from around the world. Each episode, we uncover the professional and personal stories of people and organizations rethinking relationships to water. From W12 Plus, I'm your host, Judy Jane. You will meet my co-host for this episode, Nesma Hassan, in just one moment. In this episode, Nesma and I talk to Mohanad Hashem Abarus. Mohanad is the founder and chairman of Life from Water, an international nonprofit delivering clean water and agricultural solutions to underserved rural communities in Egypt, Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda. In arid climates with scarce surface water, groundwater is often contaminated with minerals, salts, and at times chemicals from industrial uses. Life from Water develops and installs specific water filters to purify groundwater for communities. Mohanad founded Life from Water first as a volunteer group before registering as an official nonprofit in Egypt in 2014. He is also the co-founder of Water Will, a social enterprise that develops and manufactures the household water filters used in Life from Water projects. He earned his bachelor's at the German University in Cairo and his MBA at the Edinburgh Business School. In this episode, Mohanad shares how Life from Water values excellence and how the group designs, manufactures, and scales their water filters in South-South partnerships. Without further ado, here's Mohanad. Welcome to the podcast, Mohanad. Thank you, Judy. Nice to have you. We'll get started with a check-in question. My check-in question for us today is, what is an idea for an invention you have, or what is something you have actually invented before? Nesma, do you mind if we start with you? Yeah, definitely. We'll go Nesma, me, and then Mohanad. Okay. Um, all my ideas for inventions are related to mobility. So when I was a kid, I wanted to invent a hoverboard. Uh, my latest idea for an invention is um, here in Canada, when it snows, like throughout the winter, we get a lot of black ice. So it's very hard for us to move around as pedestrians. So my idea is that, you know, when we were kids, we had those sneakers that had wheels. You could click a button and then the wheels would come out. So my idea is that you could click a button and then the ice skate like um, blade would come out and then you could just kind of skate your way through the sidewalks and that makes it a lot easier to get to campus or work. That would, that would be super cool. It would be. I feel like I should paint that idea before someone takes it, but. <laughs> Those wheelies were really cool, I remember. Yeah. Um, my idea, it actually is a real thing, but I, when I was younger, I didn't know it was a real thing. Um, but I would like lean against walls because I was, you know, tired and I would want like a seat. And so they actually do make this, right? It's like a little triangle that comes out of the walls. Um, but yes, I describe myself as a very like lazy active person. And so I'll go run and work out. Um, but if I want, I also really like sitting down <laughs> and just not move it. Uh, it's a funny, it's a funny, it's a funny world. And is it something that comes out of the wall or is it something that you carry around? So in the real world, they make this as part of the wall. You'll see okay. this. Um, and in my younger, my, in, my, in my head as a child, it would pop out because things are always cooler when they pop out. Yep. <laughs> so a little as soon as you wish it. A little seat would pop out of, you know, buildings that you were in. And so you'd always have a seat. Mohanad, what about you? Yeah, so uh, about invention, yeah, maybe I, I, I had an invention early, I think it was 18 or so. We, we, were, we had uh, 
a competition in the school. It was my last year at the school before going to the university. And uh, it's a scientific research competition. And each one to join, I, I, I have to have an invention. So uh, the invention I had, uh, its name is Zaptura. It's, it's, it, it, it means nothing, but uh, just a name. But the idea of that, just having a very tiny tube, metal tube, and on that tube, along the tube, there is lenses. And these mm -hmm. lenses should capture the, uh, the sun rays and then make that tube very hot so that when we pass the water throughout the tube, it's it, it converted to steam, and that steam should uh, make a generator. Uh, so I got the second place, but it didn't work, but no one knows that, but uh, I got the second <laughs> place for the theory, for the theory itself. <laughs> That's very interesting. That is very interesting. I like how your 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 idea was so practical and you're able to work on it in the real world. Okay. So to, to get us started, uh, we were wondering if you could tell us a bit about uh, what Life from Water does and the work that you do. Okay, so Life from Water, uh, we started as an initiative. Uh, I was in, in the first year of the university. Uh, very young with limited experience in some volunteering activity. Uh, and I, I, I joined a competition, a competition uh, around the Middle East between youth volunteering in different uh, activities. And I was assigned uh, a water project. I didn't decide that I want to, 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 to work in water. I, I was just assigned uh, in, my, in my competition a water, a water competition in order to deliver water to a village. So with my limited experience, I just gathered my friends, uh, see what are the resources we have. We did uh, some scouting in, these, in a specific area in Upper Egypt. Then we found that the challenge is about fundraising. It's not a technical challenge. They don't have water inside their homes. Um, and how we solve it, we just pay that to the government and we get some plumbers and so, and we connect that. So, and that's it. We started, we named ourselves as Life from Water. We started, and then after that, when we saw the impact of uh, the impact of, of them, how they were crying and laughing, that they just have a very basic need like a water tap inside their homes, then I think that then Life from Water started. We started as an initiative, and then we organically, we did grow part, and quietly for some time till. Uh, we became a non-profit registered in Egypt with some structure now. Uh, and we grew with Life from Water. Uh, uh, and then in 2016, we started, we opened our independent uh, organization, Life from Water Germany, an independent organization uh, with the same values, with the same uh, expertise, implementing some other projects in Africa and then uh, in Canada as well. And now we have each one of them, uh, independent organization, but all of them, uh, are of the same values of being specialized in delivering uh, sustainable and cost-efficient water solutions to the rural communities, either in Egypt, in Kenya, in Tanzania, any other place. We are a technical organization, meaning that we have our own technical team that design and implement and assure uh, the sustainability of these uh, projects and actually work with a wide range of water solutions. Based on the situation, maybe water taps, main water pipes, uh, shallow wells, uh, boreholes, water treatment unit, water pan, whatever the water intervention based on the community, uh, we work and we implement. Thank you. 
Um, can you tell us back when you started off as a volunteer student group, what were some of the challenges that you faced? Yeah, so yeah, as I told you, I, I started, I had some limited experience volunteering in some general stuff. Uh, but when we started, um, I was in the position of being the leader, which is, uh, was the challenge for myself. Uh, I had no experience, but now the spots are on me and I should lead, lead that group of friends in order to fundraise and implement these uh, projects. And I found that there is a gap. So there is a knowledge gap. I don't have the, the required skills and experience in order to do this. And maybe that's why um, um, I was, uh, I joined engineering for one year, but then during that period, I found uh, the thing that I need to study is not engineering, but management. That's why I converted and I, and I studied strategic management and all the studies I did after that was management. Uh, so this is my personal challenge, but as life promoter, since 2011 till 2019, we were 100% volunteers, which means that we have several projects in many locations, but we are, uh, uh, we say it, we, we name it as full-time volunteers. So we are full-timers, but yet we are volunteers. Uh, in 2019 and each year, uh, our scale was doubled. So each year, the size of our work is, is doubled uh, the, the year before. So in the beginning, it's, it's very easy to, to double this, but year after year in 2019, we found that the scale is larger and we, we can't fulfill the projects in the same quality and time manner. And so then we took the, the, the huge decision of committing, quitting our jobs and committing and having for the first time our full time so uh, during these 10 years of working and managing and doing all of these projects and fundraising through volunteers, this was very challenging. We, we had more than, I think, I did work with more than 200 or 300 volunteers through the years. And we have a high turnover because now you have them, no, tomorrow you don't, so you can't make uh, plans based on that. Uh, but but that was the core of life promoter. This was the the base where life promoter started and then. It's a cool story, Mohanad. Um, I did volunteering in college as well, but definitely didn't turn that into its own standalone organization later on. Um, they, and it was hard, you know, with the students. There's so much energy as a young person with students. It is really beautiful to see but also you're still figuring so much out as a young person, still figuring out yes. what strengths yeah. are, what you want to do, how the world works. Um, so as you say, Life from Water, you know, works with, works in water and agriculture in rural areas, and you've expanded quite a bit. Um, but from your beginning, I'm wondering, you're from the origins and how you came up, what were some strengths you think that Life from Water uniquely has? Yeah, so that strengths of Life from Water, we usually say this, uh, our core strength is that, uh, yes, maybe one, uh, one strength is that uh, we, we recruit and we hire based uh, on the values so that all the, empl uh, the employees and the volunteers, in order to join Life Motor, they need to be 100% have self-motivation toward the cause of Life Motor, not just for the money, not just for the career. They need... To, to, to prove and see that they, they, this is a cause because at the end, we are in the impact business, if, 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 we, if I, I may say this. So, uh, and 
I can praise Life Promoter that for the years we have people here working for more than 10 years in different places going uh, between different departments in Life Promoter. So this is one of our trends throughout the year. The second one is that we are a specialized organization. You, can, you don't see much specialized organization in the water sector in Egypt and in, 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 uh, in the Middle East in general. So we are a specialized organization uh, and we are a technical one. So uh, you can find many organizations that do fundraising and marketing and then they work with other for-profit companies to implement the project. But our approach is different. We do all of that in-house, the design, the implementations, the supervision in-house. Doing this, we do uh, a lot of B2B uh, projects, if I, if I may say this, which is implementing projects to other nonprofits. So we are a technical partner for more than 10 to 15 organizations in Egypt, and we do this uh, in Africa as well. So with that competitive advantage or with that edge, uh, we can implement the projects with less cost, more sustainability, and more transparency as well, because we are a nonprofit. And we accumulate that experience throughout the year so that we can leverage uh, this uh, more and more. So this, yeah, this is uh, the biggest uh, edge that we have. Thanks for sharing that. And I think it's very important to stay focused because then it does give you more expertise in, in your specific area. Um, can you tell us one of Life from Water's core values or a couple that you think guide how everyone works and guides your decision making? Yes, so uh, for the core values, we have uh, some number of core values, but the one, uh, the, one uh, the most important core value in, in Arabic is Ihsan, and in English, we, it's excellence. And, and, and that's something that uh, we, uh, we learned through our uh, competition that we joined uh, Hawater in 2011. And what we mean by this is the pursuit, the continuous pursuit in order to improve. So that in the beginning, when we started Life Promoter, we were just fundraising and we implementing uh, water taps. But after that, we thought, okay, how we can do this better? How we can reach more people that uh, in, in more need? Then we discovered, oh, there's some other people who don't have access to clean water. So the water taps will not be enough. We need to do a water treatment unit. So we start discovering what is that. And then we went to another place, so another place. So the, the most important value that we have and that guide us through, through our way is uh, excellence in order to pursue how to be better in all the stuff that we are doing, technical-wise, engineer-wise, and all the other aspects. This is the most important one that anyone in life promoter, when you, you tell him what is the core value, he will just mention this, the, the first one. Then we can, the, uh, the number two and number three and number four, you can get different answers. But number one, this will always be the answer. Yes, and I remember us having uh, several, conversation, several conversations about that when I joined Life from Water Canada, and it's become a tradition whenever we get a new team member. Yes. Um, yeah. And so can you tell us about the cultural importance of the work that you do? Um, so a lot of people view charities in different ways, but I know that um, in Egypt and perhaps um, the Middle East and the Muslim world, there's like a different... Um, aspect on specifically the work that Life from Water does? Yeah, this is, uh, and this is another uh, edge that we can talk about because um, here in, in Egypt and Middle East, so many people do donation 
for some uh, religious reasons. And one of these reasons is to make a donation to be in memory of uh, a friend, in memory of my uh, my mother or my father that passed away or even didn't pass away. So uh, I think more than 70% of our donation throughout the year that, that is coming from individual donors throughout the year are in memory of someone who just passed away. Uh, and this is, uh, if I may say, this is uh, an intimate process. We are not just passively donating to Life Promoter. Uh, we join them in a journey uh, just right, right after the death of their loved one. Throughout uh, planning to do a project, uh, deciding the location together, and then implementing the project as they see live videos and live feeds and how people in that area are praying for them, praying for their loved one. So this is uh, an intimate uh, process. And we personally do this one case by one case and we join them from the first time where they are emotionally uh, having negative uh, emotion. Then we see that how the extreme happy they are after they see uh, the project. So yes, this is many, many of my, our individual donors is around this. And, and, and this is one of our motivation because in the end you see the impact of the projects in, uh, in the eyes of the one you deliver the water with uh, to, and you see the impact in the donor's eyes. So you get the best of the tool. So this is something that we have to come in that. Thank you for sharing that, Mahadid. I think that is really cool to hear and just reinforces the, uh, the movement for localization and for uh, having community-led uh, projects in order to um, really understand uh, everyone in that community who is donating, who's, you know, um, who you're serving, the communities you're serving, but also the people that uh, want to help in that society. We'll switch gears a little bit and ask a bit about the work that you do with communities, the day-to-day -day project work, um, specifically with water and agriculture and the filters. So to start off with, can you tell us um, a story about the water entrepreneurs and why Life from Water focuses on agriculture and water specifically? Yeah, here we, can, here we will mention uh, the pursuit to excellence again. So in the beginning, we were just delivering water solutions. So our vision developed throughout the year. So in the beginning, our vision was just delivering water. And then it was about delivering clean water. And then it was about delivering sustainable clean water. And then we discovered that, okay, uh, if the community has clean water, this is good, but this is not enough. They will, they will stay poor. Their economic condition will be, still be the same as it is, and they will not uh, use the water in the best manner so that they get the best out of the water. Uh, that's why we thought, okay, this is not enough. We need to empower these, these communities through water because from our name, Life to Water, all the living stuff are coming from water. And then there is agriculture, that the water can be a source for, for drinking use and domestic use, and it can be used for agriculture. Uh, so for water and technology, we thought, okay, we need to um, uh, implement that in practice. So we designed a project uh, and we implemented that project in Northern Kenya. And in Northern Kenya, uh, in a place called Mandera. So Mandera and Northern Kenya in general, uh, in a place called 
هورن اوف افريكا ويرز اتس ماندارا اثيوبيا اند يمن which is not in Africa, but in, in the same uh, horn of Africa, where it's very dry. Uh, the rain is just, comes just, I think, two times a year, very limited because of the climate change. Uh, in many cases, there is just one rain season, and, it, and in many cases, it's not enough, it's not sufficient. So, and uh, the geographic uh, characteristics of these uh, locations There is no underground water. You can't do a shallow end. There is no infrastructure. You can't make a main water pipeline. And the water is very deep, uh, more than 300 meters, 400 meters, uh, in case we want to do a borehole. And even if you did that borehole, the water is very salty and very limited. So you need to have a water treatment unit, and there is no electricity. So to have a water treatment unit with an RO system to solve Uh, the salts, it will be very expensive. And after all of that investment, the water is very low. So it's not economic efficient at all. So how do they live? They just wait for the rain and take the water from any surface water available. Sometimes the government uh, do some water truck, trucks. And if not, they just leave to other communities in Ethiopia and other places. So it's, it's an extreme condition compared to all the work that we've done. So in that place, We, uh, instead of going with our technical expertise, trying to impose a solution, we sat with them and we told them, okay, guys, what, what do you do? What do you do? And they told us, okay, we'd have some uh, reservoirs and with some water fans that collect water. So, and we didn't know about this at all. So we started with local expertise uh, studying that and we designed a 10,000 cubic meter water fan, which is like a huge swimming pool with inlets and outlets uh, in a specific place where it can capture the rainwater when the rain, rain season comes. And then we uh, do a, a layer of clayly soil that we do compacting so that it can uh, hold the water as much as we can. And we calculate the size and uh, the design based on the number of the people and the evaporation rate and so So after that, when the rain comes, that huge hole It, it, it's filled with water. And then they have a huge water source. So this was the first intervention. So now they have water. But then we found they have water, but the water comes uh, and passes through, through uh, the ground and you can find a lot of contamination throughout the way. So the water is passing uh, uh, with a lot of contamination, microbiological contamination, that when you do a water analysis, Uh, the one who do the analysis was like, this shouldn't be in the water at all. Uh, yet they bring that because they are happy that they just have a water source. But then we started doing the water filter. Uh, in one community, we implemented a solar-powered water treatment unit on that pan. But we found that there is a lot of technological aspects on that and they are very basic communities. So, so then we we thought, okay, how we can do a cost-efficient uh, solution that can solve their uh, challenges, but with no uh, complex maintenance and cost and so on and so. Then we implemented that water filter that I can, uh, I will tell you more about later. But after we supply these water filters, now they have a clean water source. Uh, the third step now, how we can make the best out of this water. So, 
then we started planning for agriculture. In these areas, there is no agriculture at all because there is no rain, so the, no need for agriculture. Just uh, do some other labor stuff. So we uh, uh, decided uh, a five-acre location beside that water pan, and we gave them capacity building training uh, for agriculture from the basis. They don't know how it's done at all. So we give them a crash course in agriculture and we make them make uh, a social group registered uh, in the government and they have a treasury, they have uh, one responsible on that. And then we divided that five acres between the different households. So each, each plot, two families are managing. And we implemented a solar power uh, drip irrigation system. Take the water from the water pan to a water tank and then uh, through the drip irrigation system, we can save a lot of water uh, and minimizing the use because at the end, they need the water in the drinking much more than they need uh, for the agriculture. And then from the output, they can uh, have uh, their food. They can take uh, the crops for themselves in the beginning, which is the challenge. And then the rest, they can sell. So that's water entrepreneur. Going through from just delivering the water until they are actively working with their hand in order to raise their economic stand. It sounds like there's a couple of parts moving here. There's the pan, there's the solar solar panels, there's the filter, which seems like a big part of the business model now or the operating model for Life from Water, um, as well as you know, registering the community group. Um, and so I'm wondering, when you started going into this work and as you got started, did you have something and uh, did you have an expectation in mind that turned out to be completely different how have you been surprised uh, no, no no we don't have we don't ever have expectations so we, we see always zero expectation we just discover so and we go step by step based on the challenge we see because at the end uh, the communities in North Kenya are very extreme, very basic, and we can't expect anything. So we just do our homework, uh, taking the experience from the previous organization, working in these fields, talking with them, and most importantly, living with them. So we, we don't just, we are not foreigners coming from another place and just uh, paying something. No, we, we, we live with them for more than 45 days implementing the project. So now we have a personal, relationship and this is the core of the change uh, that we understand each other and we have we had three language barriers so myself i'm speaking arabic and i speak english and we had an engineer who translated english from uh, sawahili and we have another guide who translated sawahili to the local uh, somali language so in any talk there is three people pushing uh, the speech to the community yet with the body language with living and eating together uh, they were motivated we need to go we need to implement we need to do this so we didn't have expectations but we we couldn't imagine that we can reach all of that and and this is something that we can say uh, for all our projects life in water we don't have any plan and and yet we found a lot of stuff Thank you, that's, uh, that's very beautiful to hear. Um, maybe we can segue into the filters now. Um, and so what were 
some of the uh, challenges you faced in inventing the filter or how did the idea come about? And then as you started inventing it, what were the challenges that you faced? Yeah. So why did we invent a filter from the beginning? So yes, as I told you, in Life Promoter, we were focusing on implementing uh, development projects. We get donation and we fundraise and then we design and implement a solution. Yet the communities are passively waiting for the donation in order to solve their own problem. So after 10 years from 2011 to now more than 10 years, we found, uh, okay, we did, we, we helped more than 500,000 human beings to have access to clean water, which we couldn't imagine in 100 years. Yet, 500,000 human beings is very little compared to the 2 billion people with no access to clean water. So we, we believe in life promoter and the development model they are doing. Uh, but we thought, okay, we need to have more. We need to have a scalable solution that can uh, help much more people much faster in a proactive way. They will be partners in that change. That's why we uh, founded Waterwell, which is uh, an independent, for-profit socialist startup in order to fundraise, get grants and dedicate an R&D team in order with one mission. And that mission is to develop a sustainable and cost-efficient water filter to solve the challenges of these rural communities. And that filter should uh, be able to work with extreme water condition in extreme communities. And then we did spend around two years just exploring all the innovations worldwide uh, until we found different technologies. And then, okay, we found that using ceramics in order, in order to do natural filtration is a promising one because we, we have ceramic as in our tradition in Egypt and it's, it's, it's used, there is a lot of people doing this and we can build on that and it's sustainable and it's cost efficient. So we started, we visited many places around the world. We went to Canada, Netherlands and in, in Africa, visiting many places we use that technology. And we did uh, some partnership with different universities in Egypt and abroad in order to invest in that R&D. And then after that, we finally got our product, which is uh, a ceramic pot made of natural resources uh, uh, that and, and, and treated with nanoparticles. And nanoparticles can uh, solve the bacteria part. So these, this ceramic pot is treated with the nanoparticles and then it, it put in a, in a plastic pocket. And having that with a lot of R&D, a lot we did uh, test, I think uh, clay and different natural resources from all Egypt. So we got a lot of samples and a lot of R&D, a lot of combinations until we have a product that can solve the, the water challenge. It, it removes the bacteria, the contamination, uh, the viruses and the color, the taste, the odor inside the water. So it's functioning well and in it's functioning in uh, uh, in a speed way, because at the end, it's a natural filtration. The water passes through the pools inside the filter and the contamination stays inside the filter. And then we can just right away, five liters per hour, they can get access to clean water. And it's very cheap, very in, in, in uh, less than 15 to $20, and it can last for two years. And the most important point that it can work with extreme water, so which, which was in a, a very, uh, efficient solution working with the people in northern Kenya, for example. 
So this is the first step. But the second step uh, that uh, we work to, to make happen is to partner with, with the rural communities in order to sell and distribute these filters to their own communities. And here, uh, we plan to have our scalable model. So they will be part of the production and they will be part of the distribution to their own communities and they will be ambassadors. Uh, because at the end, now they are not beneficiaries. When you are a beneficiary, you get any solution for free, you are fine with that. Whether you use it, whether you not, it's fine. But now we work with them as partners, we work with them as, as the customers. So now we need to convince them that this filter worth their money. So in order to do this, uh, to have people from the rural communities promoting that is much more efficient than us coming uh, and, and telling them that. So this is our plan with Waterwell. So with Waterwell, we can have this aspect and we have a lot of other products. We, we made another uh, premium version of that filter to serve the premium market as a one candle filter, from ceramic as well, with active carbon, with nanoparticles, and it can replace many of the alternatives premium filters in the market. And with that, we have a one-to-one -one model. With each premium filter sold in a premium community, one filter is given to one in the rural community. So with different channels, we can have a scalable solution uh, serving a lot of people in the rural communities proactively. And from the other side, we can scale in the premium market as well. And along with Life Promoter, Water One can go side by side each organization do uh, its role. I think that's very interesting to hear about um, because as you say, you started a, a for-profit enterprise. You started Water Will and have this relationship now, you know, not with, uh, you have this relationship now where you have consumers. And so that is a different model, right? Yes. Um, I'm wondering, are there, lessons learned or advice you'd give others who are thinking of um, starting a for-profit side or how do you know that's the right fit for you? And um, yeah, do you have any advice to, for others who might be thinking of something similar? A for-profit in order to start a for-profit starting? Yeah, yes. Uh, if you are talking about a social for-profit uh, startup, uh, that uh, and any startup, they just need to think of the gap that they are going to tackle. So for Uterwell, we found a huge gap that we needed to solve. Uh, and we are very motivated toward that cause as well. So they, they should have a gap and they should have and believe that this is a life mission that I can spend a lot of effort, a lot of time trying to solve with no guarantee that I, I, I can solve uh, at any day, and the third part that doing this, I can generate profit. Doing this, I can generate money. So just having a sustainable initiative uh, or a sustainable model, I will replace that with the, with the, in a state of plastic. I will do this, and if that is, if you can generate money from that, it will not be sustainable. And you can just uh, get money from promoting the cause. You need to have an alternative product that the customer will choose your product in a state of the non-sustainable product, not just because you are sustainable, but because of that aspect of sustainability, you are better off. You, are, you, are, uh, you have a better design, you have less cost because you are sustainable, you are solve more problems. So in the premium market, we sell the premium filters uh, and we, pr we promote 
yes, we promote that. Uh, there is a one-to-one -one model, and when you buy this, uh, uh, there is another filter that goes for free, but not that's it. No. We tell them our filters are 30 to 40% less cost to the alternative filter. Our filters have less maintenance fees and less maintenance effort and less complex stuff that you need to have. Our filters have unique design. Our filters can be recyclable. This is the first point, not just that point. So this is very important because we found that a lot of initiatives with good causes, but they not focus on how you generate. If you are doing a for profit, so we are talking business, we are talking money, that model needs to generate money. If not, then you go and open a non-profit. That's very interesting. And that's um, <clears throat> in the sense of the business idea. Um, circling back to the filters um, and now the actual implementation of the idea of the filters, what's it like manufacturing them in Egypt versus Kenya? And how did that process go? Yeah, uh, the idea, the main uh, idea about the filter is that it should be cost efficient. And in order to be cost efficient, you, you should take or you must take natural resources available in the environment. So the clay, the natural resources that are available in Egypt is different in Kenya, is different in Malawi, is different in any other place. So in order to have this product, you need to have your own R&D accustomed to the location where you are in. So in Kenya, there is, there is some places doing that technology, but uh, they, they were not implementing that nanopart. So the filters were not that efficient and not that uh, long term, and they will not be that efficient working in extreme uh, locations. Uh, yet in Egypt, we started from scratch. Uh, you need, uh, you can learn from other places all around the world, but you, you need an order to have your own R&D. There's no one in Egypt who tried to implement that in a conventional manner before. So in order to do this with a startup, with limited resources, it was very challenging that we did, we really took uh, samples from all the sources that we could find in Egypt. And we spent two years mixing them and having, and we have in our factory, we have a museum where all the failed samples throughout these two years, uh, one of them, it, it's not functioning, it can be broken, it's not, it's, uh, it doesn't filter the filters and so on. But then after these two years, now we have a very good experience, which is the secret sauce, if we can say. Uh, the ingredients and the ratios uh, of these natural resources together with putting them and, and, and finalizing them to have a viable, commercial, sustainable product, along, of course, with the nanoparticles at the end. I think people hear a lot about water filters around the, around the world. I have one in, in Cambodia. I know there's a, a number of nonprofits in South sea, Southeast Asia with water filters. But like you say, every every location is different. And so the nanoparticles and the, the conditions of northern Kenya, for example, as you say, um, it's important to be able to adapt to that environment. And especially I, I do you see this as a I do you see this as part of climate adaptation in terms of there's you know, not as in terms of longer droughts and in terms of having to adapt to the water that is there. Yes, 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 of course, because then this is the best. Uh, adaptation strategy. Actually, we won the global, we are the global winner of a competition uh, for the adaptation and resilience track. It's called because of that, because of that, because at the end, 
this is how you think, this is how you must think these days and in the future to have sustainable solutions like this. In terms of the future, I, um, I think I heard that you're working on another version of the filter or is there more R&D going on? Um, what does the future for your filters look like? Yeah, so uh, yes, we have some uh, we have some R and D that's going on now and for the next uh, two years. And uh, one direction where we want to uh, improve our premium filters is not just having a, a premium candle uh, as a substitute for the alternative filter in the market. Yet we we make it a smart filter. Uh, and, and this is, uh, there is some smart filters all around the world, but uh, they are promoting uh, some, uh, some general stuff. Uh, how we define a smart filter, to have a filter that can, uh, in a mobile application, so it can make you see uh, the lifetime of the filter. So in many other locations, how they have a small filter, they, just, they say the lifetime of that filter is, six months, and then they have a counter counting down these six months. But this is not accurate. This is not accurate. There is many variables in that process, whether that, that specific household, are, uh, there is one person in that household, there is 10 persons, they are using uh, the water very frequently, the water is very contaminated. So it's just, it's commercially because at the end, when you are a business after six months, I need to have another one. And that's it. But our, uh, ver our, concept of having a smart filter in order to measure the quality of the water and based on this I measure uh, the lifetime and when is the point that that home need to change uh, that water filter and maybe some uh, some aspects of measuring the water consumption throughout the years uh, for many purposes for some uh, premium market like this but with our basic filter uh, which is our core uh, product the first thing that we are working on now is uh, improving the nanoparticles part. We, are, we, we work with uh, different universities and we have a partnership with Cape Breton University in, in, in Nova Scotia to, to develop the nanoparticles more and more uh, to be more sustainable, to work with more extreme uh, conditions uh, in these rural communities. So this is something that we work on now. And in addition to this, we work to have uh, larger scale versions of these filters. So this is a household filter, but maybe uh, in, in some communities, uh, the water is coming from a big water tank. So that water tank, instead of having different uh, filters for the household, we can have a large scale filter with multi filters uh, together in order to do the filtration and then people can get drinking water. So now we are, have, we are working to have different versions of our filters to serve some industrial or some larger scale uh, challenges, not just for the rural communities, with the same technology, with different applications in different industries. And just so our audience knows, your prime, your primary filter, your main filter, is that the Buy Me filter? Yeah, so Buy Me filter is the initiative that, uh, that we did. Uh, with that initiative, uh, we can... Uh, and, and getting affected from our background with life promoter. So yes, Waterwell is working independently, yet uh, there is a lot of potential in order to uh, use these filters in the development as well. So with the Buy Filter Initiative, we can partner with nonprofits, we can partner with individuals where they can get filters and then they give these filters to people in 
that were implemented. So Biometrita is the initiative where anyone from all around the world can work with uh, with uh, the company in order to get filters with their name to, to a person or a family in need in the rural community. We'll switch gears a little bit and because I, I want to ask about Life from Water's decision to expand to Germany and Canada um, and also into Kenya and Uganda as well. Yeah, so uh, taking the decision to expand. So in, at each time of this, uh, uh, when we are expanding to Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Germany, Canada, uh, it allows really organically. So one of our values of life from water is to make the best use of all the resources we have in order uh, to, to, to seek excellence, as we are saying. Uh, we found that uh, we need to be very focused and very committed and take the best out of all the resources we have in the community. So, uh, for example, going to Germany, some part of our founding team in Egypt, they went to Germany and then they start building communities in, in, in Germany and they stayed in Germany. So we, we thought, okay, Germany, they have a lot of technological advancement than in Egypt and we can get a lot of fund as well to fundraise and implement other projects. So we thought, okay, why don't we take the best out of our resources that now are expanded to Germany? Then we stated, okay, strategy-wise, Life Promoter Egypt will work on the Egyptian project and Life Promoter Germany will get more innovations, more partnerships and more funds. And we will start expanding to Africa. And while we started expanding to Africa, we a lot of people were sending us in Life Promoter please come and do a project in Malawi, in Senegal, in this, in this place, in this place. And we found that our technical with our accumulated technical expertise, we can, do, we can do good. We can do good projects in some other locations. So why not? Why not? Then we started doing in, in, in Africa. We have our projects in Egypt, yet we, we have our projects in Africa now. And this, this, this team is different than this team. And we can do more with our resources, with our uh, technical expertise. And the same with Canada as well. The Canada has its own water challenges that is not famous with the indigenous communities uh, that they are facing. And there is a lot of gap. And there, and there, there, there are a lot of technology and universities and R&D. And so, so we went to Canada for that as well. We, throughout the years, we have uh, a big community now in Canada. So we thought, okay, why not? Why not we open an, an organization in Canada as well to, to serve some other places in Africa and to learn more and to improve our products, our solution and fundraise more and so. So it, it came organically one time after one time with the goal of taking the very best use of each resource we have. Making the most out of your resources um, also requires a lot of partnerships, like you mentioned. So what's your approach to South-South partnerships or what's one key aspect to building an effective and impactful South-to-South partnership? So, yes, so, uh, as Motor, uh, we, we have a collaboration strategy that we believe in. So we are in the nonprofit sector. So we believe that if there is another organization doing the same solution, we will find a way to work together in order to have more impact and, and accumulate our resources and put our resources together. And, and this is something that we believe in. 
I'm, hey, Mahana, your audio cut out a little bit. And so, um, we, could, could you, could you, um, yeah, restart, repeat your response just because you cut out. Yes, now is better. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, so yes, in, in partnership with uh, thinking that as nonprofits, we need to collaborate in order to get to to serve more people, in order to scale more and more. And being uh, a specialized technical organization, open the door with Life Remoter to partner with many organizations, and we have many partnership models. And with many organizations, we work with them where we where they hundred percent they fund a project. And we implement that project on their behalf at their technical purpose. With other organizations, we cost share. Each organization pay 50% and life promoter implement the project. And with other organizations, we give them technical consulting, okay? Well, there is no financial transaction yet. We need to collaborate. We are working in the same location. We need to synergize. Instead of putting a water treatment unit here, and, and they are planning to do a water treatment unit just beside our one. So there is wasted resources. So at the end, it's not logical. Uh, and that's why we, we are a founding member of uh, what we call here in Egypt, uh, water union with, uh, with different nonprofits working in the water sector with the partnership of the national water company here in Egypt to leverage these resources in Egypt as well. And the same in Africa. And the same in Africa, we found that there is many organizations doing water projects and they are just focusing on the fundraising. Uh, and we find, yeah, when, when you work in Northern Kenya, for example, you can find that there is, uh, I don't know if I, 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 I should say this, but you can find many shallows that are not functioning well. And there is many international organizations implementing these shallows, they are just do the fundraising, uh, we have a concept in, in, in Kenya called uh, white elephant. Did you ever see a white elephant? No, that, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's the concept. Uh, water elephant project means that uh, a project which you can take photographs and videos on to show the donor organization that we did that huge project with that huge uh, budget, and then that's it. And there is some uh, projects in, uh, in Kenya where you can find a place where they do a huge reservoir of water uh, that costs millions of, of dollars and that should collect the water from uh, the, rain, uh, the rain path, but it's made in a wrong direction that it didn't function at all since the beginning. So this is, uh, this is something that I think anyone uh, believe in that. And that happened because some international organizations focus on the fundraising and then they implement some with uh, other third parties. And, and if you have more layers implementing the project, they will find corruption. So working, uh, especially when, we, when you work in Northern Kenya or in rural communities where it's very hard to communicate, to work and to supervise the project. So in Northern Kenya, we found many places with, uh, you can find in a village, in a place called Tuaje, you can find a village with more than five channels. And all you can find, and each channel you can find a signboard and all of them are not functioning. So this, this doesn't make sense. So and instead of us going there and doing a new channel from the beginning, it's more logical to partner with these organizations. Okay, guys, we have the technical expertise. We have the on-ground resources. 
we can implement that project. It will be more cost efficient and it will be more sustainable. So from that approach, we work with different uh, international parties and different international nonprofits to implement uh, projects as well. I really appreciate that you <clears throat> pointed that out. <clears throat> I really appreciate it that you pointed that out, Mahadid. There are some people in, um, in the, the West, at least, uh, or in the U.S., that are trying to be more transparent about their failures, but that, you know, we know that there's so many broken wells in, 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 on the continent. Um, and to your point about um, these international organizations, uh, they have a hard time being accountable to the communities that they're serving, that they say that they're serving, right? Which is why I find the business model really interesting in terms of, you know, if you don't serve your consumers, then you're out of business. Um, and so that's, you know, a, that's what people say uh, about, the, about the market approach. Um, and it's really interesting for, for me to hear you talk about this South-South partnership, because it sounds like there's not as many layers for you, right? There's, you don't have donors in another country to, uh, to account for, and that there's more of a rela- relatability there. Is, is that right? Yes, yes. And we have our own team that we work together in these locations. So I have my own team of engineers in Kenya, for example, that supervise and implement our projects. And we do this very professionally, which means that I have an implementer, I have a water engineer, I have a consulting engineer. We do this in a professional manner, project management-wise, in order to have a transparent output and different parties supervise each other and report on each other so that at the end you have a transparent result. And in addition to this, and this is for our Egyptian projects and our uh, African projects as well. In Egypt, we have more than now, I think we, we reach more than 65 water treatment units. And we implemented these water treatment units since we started till now. And we don't just implement the water treatment unit and leave. All these treatment units, we praise ourselves that uh, all these water treatment units are still functioning now. We, are, we have our own follow-up system where our local team visit these places and follow up with a responsible person from each local community to make sure that it's functioning well. If the water is clean, the, the spare parts don't need to be changed now. So we have a follow-up system that these are our assets. We, we didn't, it's not uh, a completed project. It's an ongoing project. With the shallows, for example, uh, in a place called Kwali in, in, in Kenya, uh, near to two hours from Mombasa, we have more than 30 uh, shallows there implemented through five years period. So now, now currently, now, today, our team is in Kuali doing the, 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 the monitoring visit to see, to ass, assess the quality of each one and in order to see what needs to be done at each one, whether the pump needs maintenance and, and uh, the, water, uh, the, the water level is lower, so we need to do uh, to make it more deep. And in many cases, the intervention is, 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 is not a big deal, but it's a matter of having the resources and the system in order to follow up and make sure that these projects are functioning. And this is linked to the donors. We report to the donors that this is a live video today from your well that you implemented five years ago. It's functioning. People are drinking from it. Your impact is still on. And that's that transparency and accountability is so important. Um, and just to wrap up this uh, this interview, um, what does the future for Life from Water look like? 
what's your hope five, 10 years from now? Yeah, uh, our plan with, uh, with Life Promoter uh, to start uh, improving, seeking excellence in many other uh, places. So we have some agricultural projects, but now we are uh, studying and working to see how we can do some consistent and sustainable water intervention that can be scalable and can serve different communities here in Egypt and in Kenya as well. How to have uh, the best version, the best sustainable version of the water technology project. Because now we are working in, we are focusing in, 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 in some uh, hubs, if we can say, that we are focusing to see uh, an impact, but we need in the next couple of years, we plan to have a complete success story that can be duplicated in other places. And in addition to this, we need to, to start uh, working on the sewage uh, as well, because uh, and, and, and Bill Gates, for example, was uh, saying that in a documentary, uh, talking about the water, a lot of organization like us, like Life Motor, we focus just in the aspect of the clean drinking water. But if there is no sewage system made right, then they will not make the best use out of water. So it's wash, water sanitation and hygiene. So they should be together. So till now, we are planning to start integrating the sewage system. We are, we are having different uh, meetings and we're studying how we can do a cost efficient, small scale uh, sewage system that can be implemented to the rural uh, communities, how we can generate energy, sustainable energy from these systems that can be integrated to our uh, projects as well. And this is a lot of studying and a lot uh, to explore, uh, but something that we want to do in, uh, in uh, the near future, as well as uh, partnering with more organizations to scale more and more uh, our uh, work in order to attract more talents focusing and implementing and developing our R&D uh, projects and our uh, work on the ground. Sanitation is, is, is a very underserved part of, uh, of, the, of the sector. Um, no, we look forward to seeing what you do, Mohanad, and thank you so much for speaking with us today. Um, we'll definitely keep an, keep, a, keep an eye out on the work that you do because it, it's, um, no, it's, been, it's having a large impact. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, Zudi. I really enjoyed uh, the podcast and thank you, Nesma, as well. Thanks. It was, it was really lovely having this conversation. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The How, a W12 Plus podcast channeling water solutions. W12 Plus is a movement to connect, catalyze, and incubate urban water solutions, starting with local organizations and leaders. Find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, and at our website, w12plus.org. That's w12plus.org. Thanks, and we hope you join us again next time.